It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Independence Day. It's going to be a great weekend for all of us. It's been a long time coming. Welcome to the show. Really glad you're here early on a Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca in the host chair with you until nine o'clock and then Dave Baker and the Home Fix It show. You know the lineup, you know the routine. Maybe some of you are a little out of your routine this morning if you happen to be participating in the Peachtree Road Race. It is two days this year and I think that's a smart move um, on behalf of all of the officials, the Atlanta Track Club, and you know the the city officials that really got together and figured how to make that happen and how to make it happen in a safe way this year. So if you need to drive on Peachtree Road and Peachtree Street at this very hour, you will not be able to do so. I learned that the hard way myself on the way into Midtown Atlanta to the radio station this morning. So that whole area around Lenox and Wyuka and Peachtree Road there and then coming down out of Buckhead and Midtown Atlanta. It's already shut down, folks. So uh, get a jump on the interstates and your travel if you need to. Travel safely this weekend. Be smart. know a lot of you have a lot of fun plans and special plans to be outside and hang with friends and family, but just be safe as you do it. So a good show today. One thing that I do want to cover in depth in uh, hour three after eight o'clock how much rain we've had. You know, we're either complaining that it's been too dry and we're having to be responsible for watering everything ourselves, or it's just been super wet, lots of rain, torrential downpours. And so we're going to pick Pike Nursery's brain and see what to do when there's too much water, but how you can make that work to your benefit as far as landscape design and making everything a little more efficient and maybe tidy in your yard. And uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Walter Reeves, even though it's a holiday weekend, he is still going to be part of the show here and call in. I have some questions for him about fireflies or lightning bugs, whichever way you call them, Um, stinging insects and some other things. So really going to learn a lot from Walter, as we always do. And we'll also be catching up with Piedmont Park and seeing what the Piedmont Park Conservancy is up to, how you can help the park. There's many, many ways to help keep Piedmont Park what it is for those of us native Atlantans that absolutely love it. And it's so special, especially this time of year, with everybody being able to go outside and enjoy it. And I want to talk to you. 404-872-0750 is the number to get on. Green and growing. Any question. It could be about birds. It could be about insects. It could be about gardening, landscaping, potted plants, anything. We'll cover it all. Even something environmental, if you've noticed something going on that doesn't seem quite right or you have some questions. 404-872-0750. And also, I want to mention, uh, if you missed Atlanta's morning news and some of the announcements this week, on Thursday, Kirk Mellish announced with our Atlanta's morning news host, Scott Slade, that he is retiring After so many years here, I think Kirk said 34 years on the air here at WSB, he is retiring soon. And we're so going to miss Kirk. He has been a celebrity gardener of mine. So a lot of you got to know him a little bit more in depth when you heard my interview with him last year. And Christina Edwards is stepping in. She's an Atlanta native, but I believe is in the uh, Alabama area right now. Christina Edwards, congratulations on receiving that job. It's going to be a fun transition and this is a good family. So welcome to the family. All right, 404-872-0750. What I want to do is I put out 
kind of a challenge on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page a couple weeks ago and got so many great questions from all of you. I said, you know, if you have any question, leave it here. If you're too shy, you're not up early enough, you don't have time to call the show, this is a good venue for you to be able to put your questions and we will answer them. So a lot of you did just that. And I really like getting those folks answers as well. So a lot of this could be uh, applicable to you. Katie, Katie left a note on the Facebook page, how to get rid of moss in her Bermuda lawn. And she admits the lawn is partially shaded. So those of you who have dealt with moss and know this, that's the key. Saying the lawn is partially shaded. Bermuda loves full sun. That's how it's going to thrive. So keep in mind, three things moss likes, whether you want to keep it and you want a moss garden or you want to get rid of it. You have to have shade. You have to have moisture and that compacted soil. And we have Georgia red clay, which is obviously a compacted soil. So when you have those three conditions, environmentally, that's going to be sound for moss to grow. And a lot of people's go-tos and kind of what I try to steer you away from on this show is chemical control. People are just like, oh, I want to control it with some kind of chemical. Well, not in this case, because um, I'll tell you, there's some iron products that have iron. That's not going to kill moss. That's just going to burn it. And for a while, it gives the appearance that maybe that was effective, but it's going to recover and it's going to come back. Um, herbicides, if you think glyphosate or something like that, Again, it may give the appearance that it's going to kill it because it kills everything. I mean, that you're just going to be left with a bare spot of dirt. Um, but again, the moss will return because of those environmental conditions. So, Katie, what you've got to do in that spot where the moss keeps growing in the Bermuda is really kind of alleviate the conditions that the moss likes. So, for example, it would be easy maybe to limb up some of the trees in the area that are creating shade. I don't advocate necessarily taking them down. Um, they do serve a lot of purposes, but maybe limbing them up um, and also being able to till the soil and maybe add some soil conditioner when you're ready to reseed or put sod down in that spot. Really break that ground up very, very well. Um, and for an area that stays wet, redirect water that flows across the lawn or may pond or there's low spots. And those of you that are Bermuda lawn owners, you know, if you have low spots, kind of filling them in with a dirt, sand mixture and things like that, leveling those up so that water is not going to stay there. And, you know, redirecting water, that is one of those things I definitely want to ask Pike Nurseries how to do that. You know, if you're going to do some of these landscape things yourself, but you're talking design and and physics and all of that kind of stuff you know there is ways that you can do it yourself but that's going to be a great question how to redirect water albeit you know maybe some kind of pavers or something like that so katie that's probably going to be your best bet to get rid of moss it's just eliminating the conditions that it likes so thank you so much for the question and next alan crane he chimes in on the facebook page quite often and alan had a great question about using deer droppings in the compost bin is that beneficial is that worth his time is that something that he may want to do so there's a few things at play here and and i'm i'm composting myself right now and had to read up a lot on what to use what not to use but when you really get down to droppings from a rabbit if that's enough or a deer consider the difference between the waste from carnivores and yes, actually, deer have been found to eat meat. If you listen to O'Neill Outdoors right before this show, deer do eat meat. And a lot of people that have researched that, not really clear why, if it's a, you know, a diet deficiency or something, but they need some of the fat, especially in the colder months, some of the fat from that. 
Um, and then the difference between their waste and that from livestock, like chickens or something like that. But even when you use manure from chickens or from horses, weed seeds can be present and that won't break down unless the compost gets really, really hot. Um, and also think about anything from a deer or your dog, something like that. Disease pathogens can come from animal waste. And again, it's going to be hard to break that down because that's going to go into your soil, you know, and the overall ingredients and all kind of mixed together. So you don't want to introduce any kind of disease pathogen there. Um, and not to mention the smell. When you're, when you're composting, everything kind of stays stagnant, stays there in the yard. So you probably don't want to introduce that. Maybe consider other things. And when you're talking about composting, you've got to have that right balance of stuff that's brown and stuff that's green. So what I mean by that is the stuff that's brown introduces carbon. I mean, pieces of cardboard that aren't waxy, that aren't, you know, colored like a... The, the first thing I think not to use is maybe like a case, uh, a case of beer like that. That cardboard has that waxy layer on the outside. That's not going to break down really well for you. But just a plain cardboard box, maybe brown paper, um, shredding that up. That's going to provide carbon, dead leaves, dead limbs, things like that. And then you've got the greens. So you've got maybe grass clippings, um, fresh leaves, maybe that have been shredded or something like that. And other things also um, leftovers from the kitchen when you think about kitchen scraps and things like that maybe apple cores and banana peels things like that so that's going to be a good mix for your compost so alan no deer droppings necessarily but there's so many other things you can use uh joseph joseph also weighs in on the facebook page quite often good morning joseph attempting to grow beets and carrots and the seeds grow pretty well and gets a lot of leaves and things above ground but the roots are small. So how to increase the size of the roots so that he can eat those beets and eat those carrots. Now, I wasn't as familiar with this. So I had to reach out to Walter Reeves. Those are two things I have not grown and probably won't. I, I just don't know why. I, I may not. But Walter thinks that the carrot soil may have clods, just chunks. The soil wasn't really you know, broken up very well. So to avoid those chunks of clay and rocks and things like that, it's very important when you do carrot seeds, beet seeds, things like that, dig the trench to be about 12 inches wide and then just go as long as you need it to to properly space the seeds. But when you dig out that trench 12 inches wide, you're giving it a lot of room. And then when you reintroduce the soil, it's broken up really, really well. Use some soil conditioner to get started and maybe some gritty sand as well. Not a whole lot. Um, and then plant the seeds mid-August. So we are coming up on the time when you can have some success with carrots. Or mid-February. Those are a couple of times that you're able to get those carrots and those beets ready. So soil is so important. That's always number one. I mean, you, you need good soil or else you're just wasting your time. And a very close number two is good seeds too. I mean, you can buy a bad batch and just not have any luck and think it's something that you did. It could have just been the seeds weren't preserved properly or maybe they got wet um, ahead of you purchasing them and then dried out and then you're trying to put them back in the yard. Um, good to hear from Mickey Gasway this morning. She's kind of chiming in. She's texting me right now about using manures for compost. So I'll be curious to hear what she says. Um, let's see, another question. Oh, this was a good one from Kathy. Kathy texted and said, is it okay to pile dirt on top of the roots of three trees in the yard? Uh, the roots are above ground, but what she would like to do is plant flowers there. And then a follow-up from Cheryl in the comments to this, 
Is it ever an option to cut roots from a large oak, maybe where the roots have started to push under the driveway or under the walkway? So for Kathy's question first, uh, a lot of you may not like the looks of that. You know, if soil has has worn away and all you see is bare tree roots up above the ground, it's it's not the best look ever. But I did ask Christy Bryant of Speaking for the Trees to kind of weigh in on this because um, I knew she'd be my go-to gal. Um, and she's the president of the Georgia Arborist Association. Here's what she had to say for Kathy. Trees have two root systems. The structural root system that just holds the tree up. And then off of the root flare and off of those are the feeder root system. Both root systems in clay soils are only in the top six inches of soil. Now, those feeder roots are really important to the top six inches of soil. Now, those feeder roots are really important to the tree. They do all of the work. They bring in the water, the nutrients. They hold energy over the winter. They do a lot of the work of the tree, most of the work of the tree. And any time that we cover those with soil or any time that we cut those, we take those away from the tree. They are about the diameter of a human hair and they have to be able to grow. And if we take them away or if we smother them, in soil, they can't grow. If we compact the soil, they can't grow. The tree lets them go and puts the energy somewhere else where it hopes that it can grow. If a tree loses enough roots, obviously it doesn't lose those leaves, so it still is at a deficit for roots. So it's very important that we don't that we don't do that to trees, that we leave the drip line to drip line mulch only whenever possible. Thank you so much, Christy. So, yeah, just mulching underneath those trees. Maybe some options for Kathy if she really does want flowers under the trees. Large pots, decorative pots. That would kind of be a nice look. Maybe do some decorative yard art there instead. But you still have the pop of color from the flowers and things. Christy Bryant speaking for the trees. Thank you so much. All right, time to take a break, and I'm going to follow up on Cheryl's question, kind of related to that, if it's ever okay to cut the roots Uh, to a tree if they're starting to damage your pavement or your concrete. We'll do that. Plus the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend if you have time. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. I'm Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz with the latest, most accurate and dependable weather forecast. Low humidity, mostly sunny sky as we head through the day. Temperatures topping out at 85 degrees. That's five below average. Then overnight and into Sunday morning under a mostly clear sky, we dip down to 63. Mostly sunny for the 4th of July and a high of 89. We get to 91 with a mostly sunny sky on Monday. It's Scott Slade. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB. And we're on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Scott. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. So following up on Cheryl's question about uh, cutting roots, is it okay? So a lot of arborists out there are probably cringing at my answer. My my politically correct answer would be visit georgiaarborist.org and really have an arborist come out and look at that before you start doing that. Um, it's possible to maybe shave some of the top of the root off if that's pushing into a sidewalk or something like that. Never should shave more than a third, though, and even that's getting kind of tricky. But you got to keep in mind those roots that are larger than two inches in diameter, a lot of times those are structural, um, and you want to avoid pruning those at all, if at all possible. 
you're going to interrupt really the flow of the tree, how it gets nutrients, how to get water. And I think there's kind of a scientific um, formula that arborists can follow, you know, never removing more than 20 to 25 percent of the above ground roots of a tree at one time. But leave that up to the professionals, folks. So georgiaarborist.org, a great place to find that. Now I want to go ahead and let you know the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, so number one, keep an eye out for fungus in your garden and on the lawn. You're going to see a lot of indications maybe, whether it's black spots and things like that, slime mold in the lawn, too much rain, high humidity, the summer heat, just all the perfect storm for bringing that on. So apply organic copper fungicides as a preventative measure for your flower garden. There are products that you can use for the lawn. Number two, keep bird baths and feeders full and clean. That's so important to kind of remind you of about every month or so. Check hummingbird feeders too. Put out fresh water. If that water starts to get cloudy or any black spots in it, that can really make the hummingbird sick. And insects and pollinators, they need help beating the heat too. So when you think about your bird bath, you can add small rocks or pebbles to a shallow saucer, and that way the insects are going to be able to get in there too and have no fear of drowning. All right, quickly, number three, mosquitoes. They're not letting up, so I know you're enjoying some time outdoors. Go ahead and use off or a product on yourself just to keep yourself protected, but to keep them out of the lawn, clean and refresh the water in those bird baths and pet dishes or just eliminate standing water altogether. That's what you don't want. Fill in depressions in tree trunks with sand. They can live there where it's wet, nice and cool. Consider mosquito dunks, too. They have BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. That's kind of what we use to combat caterpillars, too. Uh, mosquito dunks, they're useful in ponds and water gardens, the areas where you want water. All right, 404-872-0750. Your call's coming up, and Walter Reeves in under 10 minutes. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. of Green and Growing. Glad you're here. First half hour underway. So now we're into second half hour of the six o'clock hour. So those of you that are up early with us, I so appreciate it. We'll be taking calls 404-872-0750. But first, at this time, every Saturday morning, it's Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. Here he is on the phone with us right now. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. <clears throat> Happy Fourth of July. I know, and Great I know weekend. you love it because you like fireworks. Oh, I do, as a matter of fact. So we got to make sure we don't have any traffic jams in front of the fireworks stands that are all over Atlanta right now. Because tomorrow we're going to have some fun outdoors. Well, and fireworks about a month out. ago on your birthday, fire, uh, fireworks were a part of your birthday, too. It was great. My sweetheart made a big firework display for me in the backyard that I had not anticipated was going to happen. It was so great. She did such a good job. So what's your favorite one? I know some of them have names like the something dragon and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. What, what's your favorite one? 
I like the ones that don't go real high, but just as a repeat, one, two, three, four, five, they shoot up about 50 feet high, has a lot of sparks, and then a boom at the end. Those are my favorite. <laughs> so Ten in a row, sparks, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Oh, you you know, we're, we're technical folks when it comes to fireworks because the boom at the end. <laughs> That's a technical <laughs> term. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I love them too. And I'm glad, you know, we're not going to get rained out for Independence Day celebrations and such this weekend. But do be mindful, folks. I really work closely with veteran groups and police officer law enforcement groups and stuff like that. But be considerate of those folks who may be a little more worked up with the loud sounds and pets too. Yeah. You know, if you're setting yeah. off yeah. crazy stuff. Next door neighbors' dogs are just super anxious and very high strung. You know, have yep. have a little bit of consideration, but have fun and have a really safe, good holiday. Right? This is a fun one. You bet. You bet. And we this deserve it. Woo boy! After the year and a half we've had, this is just a nice <laughs> celebration of summer for sure. So, from exactly. fireworks to fireflies, I talked to our friend Becky Griffin at the University of Georgia. Uh, last Saturday, Walter, and we love Becky, and she does so many great things as far as the pollinator census for Georgia and all that kind of thing. And she turned me on to the Atlanta Firefly Project, and what that is, a community initiative that assists researchers in studying firefly conservation in Atlanta. So no matter what kind of dwelling you're in, an apartment, a townhome, detached or whatever, you can still make these observations. you got to do Two evenings or have done two evenings in June, two evenings in July, and then you kind of submit your information online. Um, and honestly, to, to be quite honest, Walter, you know my bedtime's like 830 at night, right? Yeah, right. 830 at night. Get I, up to work. Oh, yeah. yeah. But in the last week, I found myself driving home at 9 p.m., which is so rare and felt so weird. And it was still, you know, somewhat daylight, dusk um, at 9 yeah. o'clock. But both of those nights, exactly leading up to nine o'clock i found so many lightning bugs so many fireflies as i was driving down through the neighborhood and that made me so happy because i was like man i have missed weeks of this because i'm already in bed by this point so that seemed to be like the bewitching hour for them to me anyways they're out searching for a little love it's what's happening with flashes that you see are male fireflies we're trying to attract the Female fireflies are either hovering right close to the ground or resting on a piece of grass, and they make a little tiny flash that says, hey, you look pretty nice. You entered the bath last night. Let's go. Let's do something <laughs> fun. And so that's what they're doing, the flashes of the males. The I did females are down low, and when they decide they like each other, then whoopee happens. I did not know that that was just the males yeah. that lit up. Just like the, the male birds, they get the better end of that, too. They're the prettier, more vibrant, more colorful ones. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what's happening. And there are hundreds of different species of fireflies in the southeast. And uh, so different, different ones, different males have different patterns. Some are like a J. They'll swoop down and up, and they'll flash at the end of it. Some of them swoop down and flash at the end of that. And uh, knowing which pattern of flashing you see will determine what species of firefly is out there. And go back to when you were a little kid, everybody. And so if your children or your grandchildren are wanting to catch them like we used to when we were growing up, um, and mm-hmm. you've got that glass jar, plastic jar, or whatever, just remember to poke holes. Poke holes in that lid poke of the spaghetti holes. jar or whatever. That's so important so they don't die. And I mean, how <laughs> long should you really keep them in the jar? Maybe once the kids go to bed, open the jar and let no, them go. Not. Yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Watch them glow while the kids are up. And then when the kids are going to bed, take them outside and shake them out. Let the fireflies go out and do their business outdoors. And I say this because we don't want to leave them in a jar. That's that's no way for anybody to go. Um, but it's important to conserve, you know, 
any any species that we have environmentally that we want to continue and appreciate. But uh, our friend Kirk Mellish, he and I were texting a few weeks back, and he said, you know what, Ashley, I'm noticing a huge reduction in fireflies this year and a huge absence of bees on my flowers that are usually pretty thick mm-hmm. with them every day all summer long. So that kind of bummed me out, and I wanted to maybe get your thoughts and see, yeah. have you heard of that or read any scientific anything? I mean, I guess we'll know with this Atlanta Firefly Project in a few months, some results, yeah. whether things are trending the right way or not. Have you heard anything? I, I know that populations of insects trend up and down depending on weather. You know, the weather has a lot to do with it. So if you have drought at the wrong time or drought that's prolonged or rain is prolonged, the one can affect uh, insect numbers with pollinators and fireflies or or anything else that we need or we don't want in our landscape pirates and stuff like that. So I am not smart enough to talk to Becky about that kind of stuff, about how they trend, how the numbers trend. Okay, yeah, definitely. I mean, worth worth a conversation and worth paying attention to. And we yeah, talked a lot about sure. pollinators, Walter, and we still love seeing all of those bees and things flying around in the yard. What are some of your favorite, your go-to plants to attract pollinators? Lantana, or Lantana brings in the butterflies like crazy. And for the past two weeks, I have been amazed. I've been knocked over by the number of pollinators on Vitex. Vitex is a shrub that has uh, conical flowers that look sort of like butterfly bush, but it's a bigger, woodier shrub than butterfly bush. With Vitex, would eat up with them. The bees were all over that thing. So if you like uh, pollinators in your garden, one Vitex shrub will sure enough bring them in. Oh, wow, they were all over. I will tell you, if you don't know what Vitex is, it's pretty cool. It's like an oversized version of a butterfly bush, but a little different. Yeah. Um, go to my Facebook page. On Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB. When you see that, go to Photos and go to Albums and Highway Horticulture. That's something you and I started together, Walter, years ago. Highway uh-huh. Horticulture, because I was so curious. What's this? What's this? What's this? So at certain times of year when things were flowering, especially, I'd notice them, and I would submit them to you, and we'd talk about them together. And Vitex was one of those, because I see a lot yeah. of that. It's a big, big bush um, alongside interstates and stuff, for example. Yeah. But, yeah, the flowers yeah. are great. And, you know, for other things, just about anything, yarrow and... Uh, I saw. I was at a garden and ball ground a few weeks back, and I saw bee balm. That was so pretty. Oh yeah, that's a great, great plant. Bee balm is, as the name implies, attractive to bees. You know, people are scared. Why are people so scared of bees? Actually, bees are good things. Honeybees, particularly, are good things. Sting insects are not always looking for you. They're not coming after you or me. They're looking out for themselves, and their stingers most often used to feed on critters that we don't want, like caterpillars and aphids and things like that. So even though you and I use the word bee and we're not strictly scared by it, a lot of people are scared by the thought of bees in the landscape. They really, you know, sting them, but they're not. Sting insects are mostly aiming at their own food sources. I think it's the startle factor. Like you're just sitting outside, Mm -hmm. minding your own business, trying to do what you're doing, and just being so startled by something literally coming up and buzzing right up against you. So I think your instinct is to swat at it and kill it right away. <laughs> and carpenter bees certainly do that. They buzz up to you. <clears throat> Male carpenter bees, when they buzz, they don't even have stingers, so they can't do anything to you. But let me, I want to tell you why I love the sting insects, yellow jackets, um, wasps, hornets, all those sting insects, as I said, are not meant to sting you. They are meant to sting the bad critters, the caterpillars, the aphids, the other the feeding insects on our plants. And they take those those things that they feed on back to their nest 
and see their baby wives and baby hornets and baby yellow jackets. And so they are doing their thing, trying their best to live their own life without having any contact with you at all. And so when you and I get startled, as you say, and start swatting at them, saying, oh, my God, I've got to be here on the, on the picnic table here. And when you start swatting at them, they think, hey, hey, who's making my life miserable here? Let's go see what they're doing. And they might then sting you out of defense for themselves, but usually they're not aggressive at all. Not aggressive at all. So if we do get stung, it's, it well, for those of us who don't have an allergy, it's not going to be the end of the world. A lot of discomfort, though. As you were growing up and you spent so much time outside, what were some of your home remedies or cures that took the sting away? <laughs> Go find somebody to choose tobacco. Ah. I know the kids and people who are my age that remember this. My mother finds somebody to choose tobacco and take a little bit of piece of it and sort of mash it up with water in her fingers and put that on the sting. And that actually works. There's not many people who chew tobacco anymore, but it still works back then. She would put um, baking soda, works fine. I myself use ammonia, this regular laundry ammonia, liquid mm-hmm. ammonia. I pour just a tiny bit into the cap and then dab a little tiny bit onto the sting on my arm, and oh. it would make the pain of the sting go away immediately. Mm-hmm. It neutralizes the acid in the sting chemical. And uh, when it neutralizes the acid in the sink chemical, then it doesn't itch anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't do anything. It just sort of ebbs away. Nice. Nice. And I use Benadryl spray, which takes the itch out, too. Well, I'm trying to think of when we were kids and we were swimming in the pool and we'd be dive-bombed by something we'd always have to go under. Was it a horse fly? Did that that bite or sting? I think it was a horse fly. Yeah, it was a horse fly. Darn them. They're not stinging. They're just biting. They're just biting the tar out of you. Trying to get some blood. Yeah, like horse flies. You're right. I know exactly what you mean. The dive bombing behavior of horse flies is not fun. And here we are in the summertime. So um, yellow jackets live underground, which a lot of people don't know, like ground dwelling bees. Is now also a time that that's going to be a problem with when we're out playing in the yard and mowing the grass, or not really right now? Yeah, yeah. We have to do note that there's some insects, some of the seeing insects, are more easily discovered, let's say, by the gardener than others. Wasps and hornets are way up in the trees, up in the, under the eaves of your house, and so you don't go into them most commonly when you're working in the garden. But it's not hard at all to step on the nest of the yellow jackets in the ground and then boil up out of there saying, hey, who's just stepping on our house? And they will sting you pretty, pretty badly if you don't run and get back in the house or something. So do keep an eye out for yellow jackets and holes in the ground that Yellow creatures go in and out, in and out, in and out. And if you can find out where that hole is, it's worth trying to explore whether you should control them with the sex aside or mark around and tell the kids not to play in that corner of the yard. And then how long are they going to live in the ground? Until what month are they going to be a problem? Because it gets cold. When it gets okay. cold, they freeze, they're dead, the whole nest dies. And then back again next year. Yeah, the queens <laughs> will come. This, this is true for all the singing insects, but... Yellow jackets and hornets and, and uh, wasps, too. The, the queen is the only thing that survives in the wintertime. She finds a place to hide uh, in a pile of leaves or a little stump or something, and she then emerges in the spring and starts the whole colony over again. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, she lays a few eggs, and the workers hatch out. They help her to build a little bit of a nest, and she lays some more eggs, and they hatch out. And then more workers, more workers, more workers, like bigger and bigger and bigger nests as the summer goes on.
Well, I want to thank um, Jeff, who who listens to the show and uh, actually spoke to me recently when I was doing traffic in the mornings, you know, during the week, Monday through Friday, and brought up this topic. He said, look, stinging insects, that's going to be a relevant topic. Maybe that's something you could talk to Walter Indeed. about. It has been a good topic. So thanks, Jeff, for the idea. And Walter, yeah. I'm really glad you reminded folks, too, not everything that's out there is, is out to sting you and get you. Um, and knowing the difference between a housefly and a bee and something that's a pollinator versus maybe just an annoying carpenter bee or something, um, pollinator. <laughs> .org is a great resource. It's a website that I focused a lot on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, pollinator.org. It's the Pollinator Partnership and uh, a nonprofit organization. They helped do some events a couple weeks ago for National Pollinator Week, but just really kind of informing yourself and learning a little more and seeing how amazing these little insects really are. Yeah, they're out there working their tails off just to be left alone by you and do their <laughs> own work and make it pollination happen, which is important, vitally important to uh, control insects populations that are exploding that we don't want to have in the garden. So leave them alone, attract them if you can, get more in your garden, and you'll be much better off as a gardener. Gosh, I so agree. Well, hey, Walter, thanks for taking the time out. Enjoy your uh, 4th of July weekend. I can't believe it's already it's already here. We're almost half, or we're more than halfway through the year. Ah. That's the sound you'll hear from Walter's neighborhood later on this evening. <laughs> Look out, people. <laughs> Have a good one. I love catching up with you, friend. See you soon, nice. We'll be right back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Scott Slade here on your WSB Weekend. Enjoy green and growing with Ashley Frasca and Dave Baker's Home Fix-It this morning on 95.5 WSB. The WSB News team, meteorologist Kirk Mellish and I, will be here Monday morning with Atlanta's Morning News. Here's Ashley. All right, 68 degrees as you hear Doug Turnbull in the traffic report. Peachtree Street is shut down. It's official. The Peachtree Road Race is underway, and it's today and tomorrow, folks, to plan accordingly. All right, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Mostly sunny today. You're going to see highs in the mid-80s, lows around 64. It was a little chilly this morning. I'm not going to lie, around 63 degrees. Sunny tomorrow, beautiful day, mostly sunshine for your entire Independence Day. High of around 90, low of around 67. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So I know you're busy. I know there's a lot going on, but these are easy things. That's why I do this list every single week for you. Just easy things to keep in mind, and they're timely. They're seasonal. So mosquitoes, they are not letting up. They're kind of making you miserable, and you want some outdoor fun this weekend. So first of all, use Off or a product on yourself, skin so soft, whatever. Do, do the best to protect yourself. But as far as your landscape and the environment goes, clean and refresh water in bird baths and pet dishes and things like that or just eliminate standing water altogether. You know, that's what they're attracted to. Uh, Fill in depressions of tree trunks that can live there with sand. Consider mosquito dunks if you have to have the standing water around, like ponds and water gardens and things like that. Um, The mosquito dunks have BT, and you've heard of that, Bacillus thuringiensis. That's going to really help to control the problem. Number two, keep an eye out for fungus in your garden and on the lawn. If too much rain, high humidity, we've got the summer heat. They're perfect ingredients for bringing on fungi. So apply maybe an organic copper fungicide. You can look for that as a preventative measure in your flower garden or even a product like BioAdvanced Fungus Control for lawns on your lawn. Look for that. That's a product like that is going to work on brown patch, dollar spot, powdery mildew and more and number three keep bird baths and feeders full and clean now we talked about kind of refreshing that to repel mosquitoes 
but that needs to be clean for the birds. And of course, if you've got your bird baths underneath trees and stuff, that that dirties up. So you may have to change out that water every other day. Uh, and check your hummingbird feeders too. You don't want any bit of cloudiness in those feeders or any black spots. Always change out the water at least weekly. And insects and pollinators, they need help beating the heat too. So add small rocks or pebbles to a shallow saucer with some water, and you're going to make everybody in the landscape happy. All right, coming up at the top of the hour, we do have questions. 404-872-0750. Up first, we're going to talk to Alex and his question about a vegetable garden, maybe some stink bugs getting in the way of what he wants to grow, and Mickey Gasway from Pike Nursery. Thanks for being here. You're listening to Green and Growing here for you until 9 o'clock this morning. Follow me on the Facebook page. Uh, search Green and Growing WSB, and we'll continue the conversation there. I post some interesting tidbits and things like that. So we'll be right back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.